We are in the middle of our summer sermon series, about smack dab in the middle of it. It's on the minor prophets, and if, this, if you're new to this, what we're doing is just week by week, we're taking the minor prophets in order, and that allows the congregation to read along during the week and then hear a sermon. So it's, it's, it's just kind of a way of encouraging Bible literacy and just all being a part of the message. And uh, so I want to start with a couple of quotes today uh, on Micah. Uh, and these aren't really on Micah, but a couple of quotes to get us going into the sermon. One is from A.W. Tozer, and the other one is from Graham Cook. Now, Tozer says this. He says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then Cook says, similarly, our image of God will drive every part of our life and determine how we show up in the world. Therefore, we all need to upgrade our image of God. Now, those are, you know, in, in an age where, you know, hey, that nothing's absolute, those are absolute statements. I mean, those are emphatic, strong statements. And I want you to hold on to those for, for just a minute and then time travel back with me to the Garden of Eden. Uh, I'm going to recap creation, and I mean a quick recap. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden um, and just note that in the beginning, God spent six days creating life, light and life, okay? In, any disagreements there? We, we're good with that, right? And all of it was good. It was very good. God says it was good. Now, why is it good? Because it was created by the one who is goodness, the one who is love. So understand that creation, it is a perfect work, and it's handcrafted by a perfect God. That, that's a pretty good start to a story, isn't it? Well, we know what happens next, right? Next, Satan comes along, and uh, Satan is not pure goodness or love. Satan is pure evil and pure hate. And what he cannot do is he cannot stop what God has started. He cannot undo creation. So Satan comes up with a brilliant, sinister plan. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll do the first ever character assassination in history. And so he goes up to Adam and Eve, and some people say, no, whoa, whoa, wait, it was Eve. Uh, Genesis 3, 6, Adam was right there with her. But he goes up to them, and he says, you know, guys, God, God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him. If, he knows if you eat from that apple in the center of the garden, your, your eyes will be opened, and, you know, you, you're going to be like him. And I just wish that either Adam or Eve, or maybe together in chorus, would have said back to Satan, you are a liar. We were created in the image of God. We are as like God as, as we are ever going to be down here. We, we are made in his image, but unfortunately they didn't. What they did is they let Satan warp their view of God, warp their perspective of God. And what happens is the rest of their life is derailed and our human history is darkened. And I, I include us in this because nothing has changed since the garden. Um, I mean, a warped view of God is out there. It happens all the time to people. Um, people we know, people we love, people we see in the mirror, right? Right? I mean, the, and, and, and you see the evidence of it. For example, people who view God as harsh and stern every time have a faith that is rigid, uptight, 
People who see God as just angry, and there are a lot of people out there that do. God's too angry for me to be a part of of anything. They go on to have a faith that is either a very angry, militant faith, or it's a faith that's very anxious, very fearful of this God in the wrong way. Um, There are some who view God as distant and uncaring, and what do we see in their lives? They have a very cold faith, a, a very removed Uh, faith from any kind of relationship. And then there are a whole lot of people out there who associate, and this makes sense, God, their heavenly father with their earthly father. And they can end up all over the map spiritually depending on what their father was like, right? And all of those are warped views of God. But then there's another danger for us as believers And you see this a lot where people will embrace one part of God or one attribute of God and they'll let the other ones go. You know, like, I mean, we we see this all the time today. You know, folks who are, they're just all about the grace and the mercy and the love of God and this is all God is. And they, they will let go of God's holiness. God's call for us to live a holy life or, or folks who, who will really kind of double down on the wrath of God against sin. And, and as Christians, everything is, you know, it's us and it's them and shocked and, and they recoil and they're aghast at sin, forgetting the point that God has come to rescue, God has come to save, God has come to redeem and, and make us whole. And um, all of these are, uh, are, again, warped views of God. All of these are either imbalances or just flat out wrong. None of these are who God is. And so Cook and Tozer are right. We really need to upgrade, all of us, we need to upgrade our view of God. And there is only one way to do that, and that's the Word of God. It is to let the Word of God speak to us about who God is. And so that's what we're going to do today with Micah. Um, We're not going to spend a whole lot of time with this minor prophet, where he came from, you know, what his favorite color was, and, you know, what his favorite TV show. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to look at God in the book of Micah because he paints a beautiful picture of God from so many different angles. And in that, we we really get a a beautiful balanced view of who God is. So let me pray for us and then we'll dig in, okay? Oh God, thank you. We simply ask today that, that we would have eyes to see who you are. Holy Spirit, that, that you know, if, if we're, have we been blinded in any way, that, that you would even convict us as we listen, that you would help us to see. And Father, I thank you that you loved us enough to clearly show us your heart, uh, your plan, your love for us, who you are. And so, God, we, we just bless you and we thank you for this minor prophet, Micah, who took his time to, to really express uh, an, an image of you that is quite accurate in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's take a good look at our Heavenly Father in the book of Micah. Uh, I'm going to start off with four verses, Micah 1, 3 through 6. So listen to this, okay? Look, the Lord is coming from His dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt like wax beneath Him, and the valleys split apart. Like wax before the fire, like washer water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? 
What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble and a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. For me, the first word that comes to my mind when I read that is awesome. That is an awesome picture of God, of God stepping out of heaven onto the earth and walking on the mountaintops, you know? It just, I mean, we can do this easily, right? It's, it's like God using our 14ers as stepping stones, right? And just striding above the earth and the mountains just melting like hot candle wax before him. The valley splitting apart, which to me just, I mean, just God is leaving footprints as, as he walks. And then finally, God, God knocking over Samaria like a Jenga puzzle. You know, if you ever played Jenga, we used to play it all the time. And, and if we ever had a little kid in the house, they'd just walk up and ching, just knock it over. But, but look at this image of God here. It's mind-blowing. Just the massiveness, the strength, the weight of God here. And yet God has come down for a reason, and the reason is clear. It is to deal with sin. It is to deal with wickedness. It is to deal with evil. Now, the question is why? Is it just that, man, God's, he's been putting up with it long enough, and today is finally the day he rolls out of that other side of the bed, and he just, that's it, I'm done. The, 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 what comes out of Micah, as so many of the other prophets, is the reason God does this, the reason God deals with sin, is because evil is destroying people's lives. Sin is ruining the light and the life that God intended in creation. He's always had for us. And when you look at Micah, there is a laundry list of sins. As, as y'all read, if you noted, I mean, whoo, some of the things, I mean, it didn't make the front page of the National Enquirer what's going on. But in essence, what has happened is, is it, it starts with a major leadership problem. And you have wealthy landowners, which in our day, that would be Bill Gates, right? Um, you know, I mean, all, all, the, all the, the, the top, the, the rich guys, you know, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk. So you've got the rich guys here, and then you've got the politicians who run civil government and, then, and national government, and then you've got the religious leaders, and all of them together are in cahoots, and they're corrupt. And they are just, they are ravaging the poor. You know, worship has become perverted. There isn't a part of life because this is leadership in the ancient Near East. It's so corrupted that what happens is it trickles down to the people. The people fall into serious moral decay. And again, some of the sins, it's like, oh my goodness. But it's all fallen apart. And so when, when, when Micah talks about Jerusalem and Samaria, those are the capital cities. That's where all this evil is flowing from. And so here... God, right, steps out of heaven in perfect judgment, perfect wisdom, awesome strength, and awesome power. God steps in, and the feeling throughout the book is that God is acting like a good father with kids who are out of control. Can we identify with that, some of us? Yeah, I mean, he's like a good father with kids out of control. God steps in, and, and God stops the madness, but here's, here's the incredible thing about Micah. Even as God does this, it isn't, the, the picture of God is not that he's coming with raging anger. You know, like, that's it, I'm done with all you people. You, 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 and just starts gunning them down. It's, it's not that. But it's also not God coming out with delight going, oh, yes, finally they made my day. Here we go. It, it's actually the opposite. Listen to this in Micah 1, 8, and 9. I will weep 
and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. Now, what's going on here? Nakedness and, and barefoot, and that, that's probably a loincloth. So, you know, it's, he's got a little something on there. But going around like that barefoot, it's a sign of, of absolute brokenness, of hearts that are wrenched. You know, when people do it, it's repentance. But here what Micah's doing is, is he's showing, he's not only giving us visions from God, he's not only giving us a message from God, but here he is showing us the heart of God. This is how God feels in this moment, over his people and over what sin has done. You know, it wrecked lives. Again, it's like a parent. You know, it, it, it's like we as parents feel when our children make devastating choices with horrible consequences. How, how do we do as a parent? You know, when our kid just goes off-road with life, we're upset, aren't we? I mean, I hope we are, but we're upset. Why? Because of love, of love for them, of, of love for where all of this ends. This is God again. And we see this heart again in, in Micah 6.3 when God looks at the punishment he's dealt out on the people and the punishment that's still to come. And then God says this to them in 6.3. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How I have burdened you. You know what that really kind of breaks down to in the Hebrew? It's God saying what some of us may have heard our parents say before. Kids, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Has anyone ever had their parents say that to them? My dad... <laughs> My dad used to say that to me. He would say, Stephen, this hurts me a whole lot more than it hurts you. And punishment has changed since I was a kid. And I'd always look back at him and I'd be like, I don't know how in the world you can possibly say this. This hurts me a lot. But what he was talking about was, Stephen, I'm heartbroken over the chaos you brought into the family with disobedience. You know, of how you've you lied to your mother or, or cut the hair off of your, bar, uh, your sister's Barbie dolls. I actually did that once. Turned all of her Barbie dolls into G.I. Joe's. You know, I brought pain into the family. That's what he's talking about. And this is, this is what God is saying to his people. And again, it's this heart, this love. You know, sometimes we think, oh, I've sinned. God just wants to wipe me out. God is broken always when we sin. And it's just so beautiful to see the side of him. So we've seen the awesome, majestic power of God, right? Uh, coming down out of heaven. We've seen God broken inside over rebellion and wickedness. And finally, all of this ends up someplace in Micah. It is absolutely beautiful. And you can guess it, restoration, salvation, goodness, lives made whole again. I got two passages. Let me read these to you and just let this wash over your heart and mind and soul. That's the way I've felt every time I've read these this week. Micah 2, 12 and 13. Surely I will gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And then Micah 4, 1 through 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream it to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Look at where this ends. Just see, this is God's finish line for his people. God comes out of heaven filled with compassion to deal with sin and to restore the light and the life that he created in the very beginning for us that we threw away. This is our God. This is who he is. This is who he has always been from beginning to end. And, and, and look at the restoration specifically. I mean, Micah spells out what it means. Peace, prosperity. That's what the vine and the fig tree are. We hear that and go, oh, well, vine and fig tree. The, the, those are symbols of prosperity in the Old Testament. But an abundance of life, new relationship with God. Life forever and life to the full. That's what, that's what God is up to all along. You know, you wonder, well, ah, where does this end up? I, all the way through Scripture, this is what he's doing. This is who our God is. And we hear that and we go, oh, my goodness, this is so wonderful. When will this happen? When is it going to happen? It's going to happen 2,000 years ago. It happened 2,000 years ago through Jesus Christ. You know, that's what's so neat. That's actually the flip of Micah, that when you read the history, God does deal with Samaria and Jerusalem it's a historical moment. I mean, God literally does those things, but Micah also points to what Jesus did, right? What did he do? Jesus, the Son of God, stepped out of heaven down to the earth. Jesus comes and we see his heart in the Gospels. What does he do? He weeps over Jerusalem. And then Jesus brings salvation. He dies in our place. He dies in our place. And everyone who dares to believe in him, who dares to call him Lord, what do they get? Light, right? Or how many times are we called light in the Gospels? Life eternal and life abundant. And that's why even in Micah, and some of y'all picked up on it, you know you did, right? When you were reading those passages last week, when it talks about the shepherd and the flock and gathering us all together, it, it, Micah's talking about Jesus. There's a whole lot of Jesus in the book of Micah. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Hundreds of years before he comes, here he is spelled out. So brothers and sisters, this is your God. This is our God. God decided, he refused to let us wallow in sin. And God did not wait for us to get better. Instead, God chose to rescue us by sending his son to love us back to him and to lead us back to him. Jesus, the Son of God in Micah. But make sure you get that view of God that's accurate and correct today, that here is our God, right? God the Father, he has unlimited ability to make every wrong right. He has unlimited authority to do whatever is in his plan to do. And this God cares about you. This God loves you. This God is filled with compassion for you and me. He, he's come to make our wrongs right. And God's endgame for the people 
of God, brothers and sisters. It is a Garden of Eden relationship with him again. It is to be his children. Him is our father. <clears throat> his goal is light and life restoring us into relationship. And so this God in Micah, he is worthy of all of our trust, first of all. This is a God you can trust with your life because that's what he's about, right? But this God is also deserving of all of our worship, all of our worship. And if you hear that and you go, well, yeah, but you know, worship is a word that gets thrown around a lot. What, what exactly does Micah mean by worship? Well, he's told us, hasn't he, right? Uh, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And you might hear that and go, now wait a minute, how exactly does that translate to a worship service? Well, what Micah is talking about here is he is talking about a life of worship. Because you know, our, our lives, every day of our lives is an act of worship, right? So he's saying, look, as you live your life every day, as you worship God with your body and in, in your relationships, the life you live, do what is right. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. You know, it's really based off of scriptures like this that coming out of the pandemic or kind of in the middle of the pandemic um, during that last presidential political season where regardless of how you feel about any of that, people were freaking out, you know, dividing, getting angry. Everybody had an opinion, you know. It, it was kind of, kind of like a civil war. It started to feel like that. That's why a, a lot of folks in the church, teachers, pastors, and others said, church, listen, we can have a voice and we should take a stand but let's not break from the character that God has called us to walk through this world with. We can walk with God in humility, love mercy and justice, and still do what is right and represent God well. And, and so it's really based off of this. So anyway, having said that, we've come kind of to the end of Micah. I want to leave you with a practical question today, okay? Uh, a couple of people in the church, we were just talking about sermons one day, and they said, you know what we like? We like it when you leave us with a question. You know, we love it when you kind of leave us with something to, to, to live through. And I thought it was really wise of Chris and Danielle to suggest that to me. So I've got a, just a really good question that I've been asking myself all week. <laughs> I love you, man. Uh, uh, just a great question. I want to offer it to you because it's the question of the hour, right? And we just rewind the, the service all the way back to the beginning. Here's the question. What do you see? Who do you see when you hear the word God? What does God look like to you? What is your view of God? What is God like to you? I invite you to take that question and live with it. Lean into it. You might be able to answer it right now and go, he's, you know, it's just like Seth. You know, I don't know, whatever you'd say. But you, you may be able to answer that question right now very accurately. You might not be able to take time to live with the question. See what comes up, and anything that doesn't square with Scripture, be willing to put that aside. But most importantly to do this, go to the Word of God, because listen, you don't have to go to Micah alone to see who God is. God is the same from Genesis to Revelation. He never changes. He's, he's not a light that flickers. He doesn't fade, even like our, our dusk and our dawn, right? But take time to let the Word of God and the Spirit of God show you who God is, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, I, I do, and I'll, I'll pray a, a minute or two longer to give you all time, Marvin. I, I realize I didn't give you a, much of a, 
a, a transition. Father, I just wanted to pray what I have been praying all week long. I ask you to forgive me for allowing sometimes the world to tell me who you are. The world cannot tell any of us who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me for um, just blowing up parts of you bigger than other parts, Father, for, for sometimes even believing lies like Adam and Eve did in the garden about who you are. Father, I, just forgive us for that. And God, I ask you to give us eyes to see you. Because, Lord, you're beautiful. Everything about you is good. Even when you move in correction and you bring judgment, it leads to salvation. So, Father, help us, just give us eyes to see who you really are. And, God, help us to become what we behold as we stare at your face, as we look at your characters, that we would be molded, that we would be shaped, that we would become kinder, gentler, Lord, that we would become stronger, that, God, our love would grow, our compassion, and even our sense of right and wrong, that, God, we, we would not conform to the pattern of this world and be molded by a very lost and confused world, but instead your word, your beautiful Holy Spirit, would mold and shape and define who we are. God, you're beautiful. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you who began a good work in us, you are faithfully completing that work every day of our lives, and we want to say yes to it in Jesus' name. Amen.